It's a great pleasure to be here uh, in such wonderful company. Um, thanks for having me and thanks to um, our viewers for tuning in. Um, I'd like to talk to you tonight um, about a remote island, um, about a political exile um, and the journey I made in his footsteps. Um, it's a story about 19th century Russia, which is also, of course, a story about modern Russia. Last month, the Kremlin published an order to relocate about 100,000 captured Ukrainian civilians from Mariupol and elsewhere to various remote regions of Russia. And among the places listed was the island of Sakhalin. Now, details were lacking then, as they are now. But for anyone familiar with the name Sakhalin and familiar with its history, then the suggestion was, trilling, was chilling, um, and I'd like to try and explain why. Sakhalin, which I visited almost exactly three years ago to the day, while I was researching my book about um, three late 19th century political exiles and their places of exile, is Russia's largest island. It just lies a few miles off the, the Siberian mainland, about 4,000 miles from Moscow. When Anton Chekhov visited in 1890, it was already synonymous as a penal colony with the worst brutalities of Imperial Russia. And Chekhov had decided to make this, this long journey, this 4,000 mile journey overland from Moscow in order to write a kind of expose, a journalistic expose, not something we associate with Chekhov. Um, Sakhalin Island, as the book was titled, is a, is, a, is a pretty unremittingly horrifying account of squalor, sexual abuse, systemic cruelty and ineptitude, and state murder. And it was quite a cause celeb when it was published in, in Russia a few years later. It wasn't Chekhov, however, who prompted me to make the journey to Sakhalin. Uh, two years before the great writer arrived on the island, another young man found himself on Sakhalin and not willingly. The late 19th century, of course, was a, was a period of great uh, political tumult, political violence in, in Russia as it was in Europe. Uh, and among those who were radically opposed to the, the Tsarist regime in Russia was a young Jewish Ukrainian man named Lev Sternberg. Um, and Lev grew up in, in the currently besieged city of Zhitomir in northern Ukraine. And um, Daisy, if we can have the, the picture of Lev, that would be great. Um, this is this is Lev Sternberg um, as a as a young man. Um, uh, shortly after the events that that transformed um, uh, Russia and transformed his his life, in fact. And as a teenager, um, Lev joined the the violent anti-Tsarist uh, organization known as the People's Will. In 1888, just after the People's Will assassinated the Tsar, Alexander II in St. Petersburg. Lev, um, along with most of his colleagues of the People's Will, um, although he played actually no part in the assassination, was arrested and imprisoned. And he was imprisoned in, in, in Odessa, and he stayed there in the grimmest of solitary confinement for about three years, until finally, without the inconvenience or a publicity of a trial, Lev was exiled and exiled 
not to Siberia, um, as many of his his uh, comrades were, um, but to somewhere even further away, as far as it was possible to get within the Russian Empire to the island of Sakhalin. So although Siberia had been a, a place of banishment for Russia since the 1600s, in the late 19th century, the number of criminals and, and political exiles being sent to its penal labor sites had become unsustainable. By 1876, about 20,000 convicts were arriving in Siberia each year, and they were dying of exposure, they were dying of malnutrition and disease, uh, escapes were soaring, crime was soaring, and there was not enough work to occupy them all. So Sakhalin, this large, sparsely populated, coal-rich island off the far east coast of far eastern Russia, promised three things. To relieve the pressure on Siberia, firstly, and then to supply the Russian uh, industrial system with fuel, with coal. And then, as importantly as either of those, to consolidate the frontier with nearby Japan, which lies just a few miles south of Sakhalin, and which has historically contested the island's sovereignty, and, uh, and indeed still does. Um, perhaps we can have the map of uh, Sakhalin, please, Daisy. So you can see, I hope, from uh, this map um, that uh, uh, Sakhalin is uh, a long, uh, thin island. Um, and it's more than 30,000 square miles, about 600 miles long, uh, nearly as big as Austria, in fact. And by the time Chekhov and Sternberg arrived, uh, it was already a byword, in Russia at least, for bleakness and isolation and hardship. It was, as one commentator put it, the final destination of the unshot and the unhanged. So I arrived in Russia on the 9th of May, um, three years ago, Victory Day, as you may know, um, when uh, Russia marks its victory over Nazi Germany. And I travelled across Siberia and I arrived by train at the uh, Tata Street uh, port of Vanino, from where I took a, a rusting Soviet-era ferry overnight to Sakhalin. So in 1889, Lev Sternberg was sent to Sakhalin's then capital, Alexandrovsk, on the northwestern coast of the island, and I followed him there. And Russian has a useful word for travellers, and I hope any Russian speakers, um, including Luke, will forgive my pronunciation, the word is rasputitsa, time without roads. And it refers to spring when the snows melt and autumn when the rain comes. And in Northern Sakhalin in May, I found it was wise to travel any distance by train. As a political prisoner, Lev was spared hard labor, but he soon became a thorn in the, in the side of the, the, uh, the prison camp authorities. Um, because he vocally objected uh, to the mistreatment of non-political prisoners and wrote anonymous letters to various newspapers doing the same. And eventually the directors of the penal colony grew, grew tired of the troublesome Sternberg, uh, not least because they were worried um, about him blabbing to this man, Anton Chekhov, who they'd heard was known to, well, was on his way to the island to write about it. So Lev was banished. Uh, he was exiled within exile to a, a tiny military checkpoint uh, 50 miles north of Alexandrovsk 
um, this bleak headland on the Tartar Strait, a place known as Viak 2. And if we can have a third slide of Viak 2, um, please, Daisy. Here's Viak 2, um, a pretty bad quality uh, image um, taken around 1890 um, when Lev was living there. So he spent almost two years in this place with just a handful of soldiers uh, for company and a convicted wife murderer um, as his neighbour. But it was here too that Sternberg experienced what he called his ethnographic baptism, because it was at Viac 2 that he got to know the Nivk people um, and eventually undertook, um, despite having no formal training at all, some of the first detailed ethnographic field studies of any of Russia's indigenous people. Um, very briefly, the Nivki are one of five indigenous uh, peoples of Eastern Siberia, known by ethnographers as Paleo-Asiatics. Uh, and their language has no known connection with other linguistic groups. Um, they were traditionally semi-nomadic fishers um, with an animist belief system. Um, so Viak II, Lev Sternberg's exile within exile, became my objective. Um, and if we can have the fourth slide, this shows the uh, disused port at um, Alexandrovsk. Um, this is the place where uh, Chekhov arrived on Sakhalin and, and the place where Sternberg arrived on Sakhalin. And in Alexandrovsk, um, which is now a, a, a really an obsolete port, I befriended the director of the regional museum, Mr. Miramanov. Um, he was the former mayor of the town. He was the, I was told, darling of the town's amateur dramatic society. And he was very, very interested in knowing what a lone English man was doing in northern Sakhalin. Nevertheless, he agreed to take me to Vyak too, in exchange for petrol and vodka, assuming the roads were passable. So we set off one morning, um, driving on these flooded dirt tracks over rickety bridges across rivers in spate, until after about four or five hours, we arrive at the edge of the estuary of the Viak Two River. And on a beach, we found a fisherman named Obit, and Obit rather bewilderedly agreed to take us across the estuary to whatever was left of Viak Two. And then after what was probably the most terrifying uh, boat voyage of my life, only half an hour, half an hour or so, um, we arrived soaked through. We reached this place, this place I'd imagined for so long. Um, and what did we find? Well, as my friend, Mr. Miramanov, the museum manager put it well, um, nothing will, there's nothing here. And if we can have the last slide of, of um, the act two, please. Daisy showing uh, VX2 in 2019. And as you can see, Mr. Maromanov um, had a point. Um, there was very little left of, of the place Sternberg had known, just a few timbers, the footings of, of uh, ruined walls. Sternberg wrote, the gloomy sky hung low over the savannah, bordered by a thick fog, and beyond it, apparently, was the end of the world. Nakrai Sveta, the end of the world. And it still felt like the end of the world. And yet to be there meant something. Um, by looking out on the sea Lev had known, on the forest and the mountains, on the fog, on the estuary, I felt I was somehow able to understand him as I could not have understood him had I stayed at home. 
So Lev Sternberg was not, in the end, to die on Sakhalin, as so many of his friends did. Um, he was finally allowed to return to St. Petersburg eight years later, where he went on to have a, an extraordinarily influential career as an ethnographer, as a teacher, as the founder of St. Petersburg's world-famous Institute of Anthropology. In fact, you could say that as a result of his exile, Lev Sternberg invented the discipline of ethnography in Russia, or at least contributed to it. So in some ways, um, exile made him. But the reports of the revival of Sakhalin I mentioned at the beginning as a place of, um, of displacement, of deportation, um, and the more than 7 million people, I think it's nearly 8 million people, now displaced by the war in Ukraine, um, are reminders that displacement is, is not always temporary and is very rarely productive, as it was for Sternberg. An exile I saw on Sakhalin um, begets exile. Today, most of Sakhalin's 2,000 NIFC people live in and around the oil towns of the Northeast, having been ejected over the past century from their traditional fishing settlements, first by um, Russian colonists of the late 19th century, then by a succession of, 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 um, of um, uh, Soviet attempts to um, remove them from their territory, and then by uh, um, really the mass murder of, of Nivki men um, under Stalin in the 40s. Um, the Nivki of Sternberg's time believes that the god of thunder lived beneath the Tatar Strait, which is the, the strait that separates the island from the mainland of Russia. So it came as no surprise to them when a tunnel connecting the two, ordered by Stalin in, the, in 1950 as a symbol of Russian unity as, as well as a, a military asset, collapsed during construction, uh, drowning hundreds of forced laborers, including many conscripted Nivki. And it should perhaps come as no surprise to us that Putin has commissioned designs for a bridge at the same spot, inspired apparently by the one he built between Crimea and Russia after the annexation of Crimea in 2014.